Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Squanderlust the podcast about the emotional side of money, why our actions aren't always as good as our intentions and what we can do about it. I'm your host, Martha Lawton. Today's special guest is the voice of millennial money. Writer, broadcaster and author of Own It, How Our Generation Can Invest Our Way to a Better Future, it's Iona Bain. Iona, introduce yourself for our listeners. Well, you've done a pretty good job, Martha. Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, my name's Iona and I am the founder of Young Money Blog. I started Young Money Blog in 2011, so I believe it's the UK's first and longest running financial blog aimed at young people. Um, And I started it because I was clueless about money myself. I'm actually a musician and um, I trained as a classical musician and then moved over to pop music and I thought I was always going to be a musician but then I got out into the big bad world and realized uh, life is much tougher than I had anticipated (laughs) and that I needed to get on the learning curve when it came to money so that's why I started my blog and it really all went from there and I have established this career writing and talking about money in lots of different contexts as a speaker, as a broadcaster and latterly as an author. So my most recent book, as you mentioned, is called Own It. And it's really an investing guide for young people. And I think it's it's come out at a um, at a moment when young people are getting more and more interested in investing but maybe need that impartial, friendly guide to the maze of investing, um, coming from somebody who is a young person also navigating this whole area herself. That's fantastic. And we're very excited to actually have a copy of Own It to give away to our listeners. So there will be more details about that at the end of the show. So it's interesting that you say to me that investing is something that's becoming more popular and more young people are getting interested in it because I had that sense, but I was also thinking, oh, is it just the younger people I know? So um, where do you think that that trend has come from? There are quite a few factors driving that interest in investing. And I think, Martha, that it is mainstream now. I don't think it's just niche. And um, it's you know easy to think that on Twitter and in the media bubble, uh, that the people that you encounter there are representative of the public. But actually, I've not only been getting that kind of interest in investing uh, register on my social media, but I've also been encountering it in real life. So when I go to parties, I go to the pub, I go to a barbecue, you know, I go to most places, I go to the hairdressers, I get talking (laughs) to somebody there and they go, oh, yes, I've just started investing in the past year. And you go, oh, really? And they'll say, yeah, I've, um, I've, I've bought some cryptocurrency. uh, And I've (laughs) bought a few shares. Um, Yeah. And and, and I think I'm doing pretty well so far. I did lose about 10 grand last year. (sighs) But you know, we'll just put that to one side. And I'm thinking, crikey, you know, this is really taking off in a big way. And I I think it's a it's a combination of factors so obviously the pandemic played a huge part Mm. with people stuck at home with not very much to do and a lot of younger people obviously really got into financial difficulties because they lost income and work and Mm. didn't always qualify for government support 
But there were other young people who did keep working, who weren't going out as much and spending as much. So they were able to put that money towards something else. And then you saw, you know, stock markets bounce back incredibly quickly after Mm. collapsing in spring 2020. And a lot of young people thought this is my chance to get in at the ground floor of the stock market recovery and make some serious money here, Mm. Um, which is a perfectly understandable uh, reaction to that particular event. Uh, But I also think that on top of that, you've had certain firms really capitalise on this, you know, massive uh, event in the stock market over the past year. Firms that offer free trading, uh, you know, the most notable example being Robinhood in the US. But there are some UK imitators like Free Trade and Trading 212 that are explicitly aimed at a younger market. So, you know, they have very youth friendly language. Uh, They uh, have really active social media um, and they are kind of putting investing forward as quite a fun activity to do. You know, Mm. it's not just about, you know, growing your money in the long term and and fulfilling your goals, but actually it it can be fun. And, you know, we can talk about whether that's the right message to convey about investing. But but nonetheless, I think it has succeeded in bringing in a new market here and getting more young people interested in investing. So there are more factors besides those that I've just mentioned. But I think those broadly are the biggest factors driving this young investing phenomenon. Yeah, it's it's interesting you said that because um, I've had to bite my tongue a little bit around some people Mm. I know who've who've come to me and very proudly said, and it seems to be, there seems to be this pattern in what what gets said. They'll say, you'd be really proud of me. I've started investing. And I say, oh, yeah. Um, And they say, yeah, I put a thousand pounds into Tesla shares. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. it's, It's always that. It's always yeah. a thousand pounds into Tesla shares, and I and I think, oh, there are other ways of investing that will be less risky, and you are not somebody that I think of as being a high risk investor. <laughs> mm. But the problem is, Martha, that it's a little bit like when someone shows you their tattoo. Mm. You've got to say that you like it because if you say, oh no. I'd- I'm not really keen on that. You know, they're going to turn around and go, well, I've already done it. And it's the same with investing. So, you know, if someone says I've put a thousand pounds into Tesla shares, then you're thinking, well, you know, it's all I can tell them what I think, but Mm. they've clearly made up their own mind. And I think this is one of the big problems that I'm coming across now that actually people have become very dogmatic about their investing Mm. strategy. Mm. uh, And they've been inspired to be very confident Mm. by influencers who themselves um, are, you know, very certain about why they're doing what they're doing and will brook no argument. Mm. And I think that that then inspires their followers to to be similarly, you know, fixed in in how they approach investing. So it's very difficult to talk to people when they have just made up their minds Mm. and when they think that you're part of the problem that you're in a way a kind of establishment stooge if you suggest anything other than Tesla or Bitcoin as a way to invest. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is, is I think that, I mean, the people I've been speaking to are almost second tier to that. So mm. they've got a friend who is that dogmatic person who told them the thing to do is buy Bitcoin or the thing to do is buy Tesla shares. Um, and and they, you know, haven't necessarily looked into it, but they're, they're trusting their friend. So I think even yeah. there's there's almost like a, a kind of ripple effect of there's the influencer who is saying this thing and, and putting forward their argument and then they've got their followers and then there's sort of their followers' friends who maybe don't necessarily know and would be quite open to having a conversation. But then how do you have that conversation in a friendly way? How do you have that conversation in a way that isn't doesn't make doesn't come across as really judgmental and like you're um saying that they've made a stupid decision because you don't want to say that and and you don't want yeah. to discourage people from investing it's an important thing to do especially as a young person to build your financial future yeah that's a really good point that you raised there and it was one that I was very conscious of when I was writing my book because mm. you know actually I got the idea for it before this whole young investing revolution took off in the past year or so I just sort of identified that younger people were getting more interested in investing but I I saw it panning out more as a gradual process so I was really amazed and in some ways 
pleased to see、mm. suddenly it break into the mainstream over the past year or so. But then、um, trying to be even-handed and objective about all the different investing options out there, and and laying it out for people, and and trying to. Help them learn about this stuff the easy way rather than the hard way, because、mm. that's my personal philosophy when it comes to money. It's a case of, you know, yes, you can you can make mistakes, and it is valuable to learn from mistakes. You can't expect to go through life, you know, having a perfect relationship with money and 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 doing everything absolutely brilliantly. But at the same time, there are some mistakes that are too expensive and too big. To make, in my opinion, and you want to be avoiding、yeah. those if possible. So it is tricky, and it's and I guess this is where、um, you know having authoritative, accessible voices in the mainstream and and female voices as well, because、yeah. without wanting to generalise too much along gen- gender lines, I do think it can be helpful to have you know those female voices saying, "Well, I've started investing in a." I think it's fair to say male-dominated space, and I found my way through that. And here are the things that I've learned. Here are the things that I've got right. Here are the things that I haven't got right. And this is what you know. I've I've tried to take away from it all.、And、I think if you convey that that you're not you know some know-it-all, then I think that does for the most part inspire some confidence、um, and also gets people on side and gets people to listen to what you've got to say. And I do think there might be a bit of a backlash against these more you know cocky influencers, shall we say, who. <laughs> Who are very convinced that their way is the right way, and I think as well, it, it's about savviness. It's about people just spending more time online, realizing that actually, you know, influencers can be motivated at, at、mm. the very least by getting more likes and followers, and at the very, you know, worst by being offered very lucrative commercial deals and then promoting、yeah. products and not really caring about whether those products are in the, the consumer's interest. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think that's a very important point that.、Um, Certainly, from what I've seen of financial influencers, a lot of them they're promoting making money from shares, but a lot of their actual money、um, is coming from the affiliate links to、yeah. these share trading apps, etc. So, or crypto apps or, or whatever.、Um, so the money is actually that buys the fancy car that you can see、yeah. um, in in the background or the.、Yeah. The the house that they say is theirs, and again,、yeah. I'm even dubious about whether those cars and houses are even theirs. A lot of the time, I think they're a lot of them are rentals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, I, I raise that in the book in relation to influencers who promote forex trading schemes、mm. because this is, you know, classic. Uh, ploy used by these influencers to pose in a fancy car in front of a private jet in front of a mansion,、mm. you know, and it and it's well known that actually a lot of these influencers don't have that lifestyle. They've just sometimes they're just catfishing people and they've、mm. just nicked those images off the internet, off other social media profiles. But、mm. sometimes they have just genuinely staged those pictures to make it look like they have that lifestyle, and then obviously they're using that to convey that they. Can sell you a, a, a way into that that、mm. glamorous jet setting lifestyle, and like I say, I think people will become wiser to this as time goes on, but not before lots of people do get caught out. And I guess it all comes down to how vulnerable you think young people are. You know, I started my blog because I felt that young people were maybe more vulnerable consumers than than. We at that time widely accepted. I think you know. I mean, you can talk about this more than than me, Martha, with your background. But I think that most young people don't really have that wisdom and that experience and that knowledge of the world, aged eighteen or nineteen, to be able to make these huge decisions. And yet, you know, that's that we have an environment now for young people where they they go online and and they can get information about every. Thing and and anything, you know, from all over the world, and and you know, to come back to one of your earlier questions, I think another key reason why we've seen young people get more interested in investing is because it's really exploded in the U.S.、Mm. You know, and I think over there they've got a much stronger share trading culture、yeah. anyway than in this country. We tend to be more hung up on housing here,、mm. but over there, you know, they've always seen investing and trading as a way to achieve the American dream,、mm-hmm. uh, but that's. Been on steroids over the past eighteen months or so, and、yeah. because we've seen these really bizarre events in the stock market, driven by communities on Reddit and、um, people online, you know, trying to 
give the establishment a bloody nose. I think uh, that is influencing <laughs> people over here. Uh, yeah. But I think it's certainly there are differences uh, between the UK and the US. I mean, in the US, they've people have been receiving stimulus checks in the post and they've yep. been investing those yep. checks. So it's like they're getting monopoly money. Mm. Whereas here, you know, we haven't had quite as much loose and free money being sent to people to invest. But none, nonetheless, it's, you know, that, that sort of hyped up investing culture in the US is definitely influencing younger people here. How mm. do you, how do you um, counter that? How do you provide um, a, an alternative narrative of investing, which is not about how much you can make in the next 30 days or, or the next six months or even in the next year? How, how do you get young people to understand that this is a long game and that actually it's not something that it's not something where you can hope for a quick win. It's about being in it for the long term uh, and and not obsessing about it on a daily or weekly or monthly basis. And, mm. you know, it, it doesn't have to be some hobby where, you know, yeah. you're checking in with it, you know, all the time. In fact, that might not be a good idea. Um, and I, I think that message is starting to get out there. Hopefully, you know, I've helped with the book, but I think younger people are waking up to that. And if they make some mistakes in the beginning of their journey in order to realise that, so long as those, like I said before, so long as those mistakes aren't too expensive, that's that's no bad thing. It's about, you know, getting on the learning curve. Yeah, I, I think there's something about... Because, because not all young people are driven by... The, the flash car and, and the mansion you know there yeah. are there are a lot there are young people who, for whom that is you know the dream but there are also young people who who have other uh, other goals for their lives and, and yeah. for their money and I think who are open to the idea of a different way of investing but if investing influencers are the only people they see as a source of information and that's the that's what they're being told from those people it is about having uh, having other sources of information that are approachable, that are uh, relatable, that are encouraging them to invest in a way that will be sustainable for themselves. And I'm not even just talking yeah. about, I think actually in some ways ethical investing and sustainable investing will be a part of that potentially. Mm -hmm. But also I think, um, you know, seeing that as, as, you know, a method of investing that is sustainable for themselves, for their lives, for their lifestyles that they want. Yes. Yeah, it's a really good point because when, when we're young, we, we don't tend to think that much about the long term. Mm. And we do make that mistake, don't we, of thinking that how we are today is how we'll <laughs> always be. Yeah. And, and thinking about how much my life has changed over the past 10 years and how much my perspective, my outlook and my values even have changed. Not to say that I am a completely different person, but I have grown and evolved so much um, that I'm really glad that aged, you know, 22, I didn't make um, a huge decision about my finances <laughs> um, that, that now, you know, I, I would be really regretting. And, and I come across it all the time, you know, and I'm sure you do, Martha, mm. where, you know, younger people do make those kinds of decisions and they don't realise at the time they are huge decisions. I think the, yeah. the biggest yeah. one is taking out a credit card mm. and not knowing how to manage it. Um, yeah. And I mean, I know, you know, people who did that in their late teens early 20s they're still paying off the credit card debt now it still occasionally keeps them awake at night mm. and it's just been a big black cloud hanging over their 20s and I feel so sorry for, for those people because where was that you know guide at that time for them saying do you really want to do this do you know what the consequences might be you know not in a lecturing way mm. but but clearly they could have done with someone like that and they say that to me now I wish that someone had said that to me at that time but they didn't it it was a free-for-all it it was offered to me so I took it yeah um, and I think yeah. it's the same with investing you know I, I, when I hear about the decisions that that some young people are making around cryptocurrencies and uh, some you know I think some of that can be unwound in, mm. in due course, you know, um, but some of it may prove to be irreversible. The losses that, that younger people might experience in time could could prove to be irreversible. Uh, and and that just that just makes me really sad, actually. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's a very tough. Um, it's very tough. It seems to me that um, part of the issue is you've got apps encouraging some very speculative trading mm. we, we've sort of gone into this and they're using techniques like making that a social experience inside the app or they're 
um, there are incentives within the app almost, well, gamifying is the obvious term. Yeah. Um, but, but the app uh, rewards you with in a non-financial way for over-trading, for, for engagement with the app more than yeah. for the returns you're getting. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about this? Because I've only sort of heard it, I guess, secondhand, but perhaps you, you have more insight into this, given your research. Yeah, well, when I was writing the book, I was keen to look at all the different technology that's now available to, to young investors starting out. And I kind of, I, I came up with three broad categories. Mm. So first of all, you have robo-advisors, then you have more traditional investing platforms such as Hargreaves Lansdowne and mm-hmm. Interactive Investor that have been around for a while. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got this new breed of trading apps that, as I said before, are much more targeted at younger investors. And um, yeah, I, I did a lot of research into those trading apps and you can't just write them all off as exactly the same. They do mm. they do all differ in, in, in noticeable ways, but broadly speaking, they do tend to emphasise short-term trading. And they do make use of social media to build communities uh, that can be quite focused on a limited number of, of stocks. Mm. And so, for instance, you'll, you'll have a situation where a very well-known free trading app revealed last month that the number one investment in its new self-invested personal pension mm-hmm. was AMC, right. which is the cinema chain in the right. US that's been having huge problems as a result of the pandemic. Now, right. clearly, yeah. people, you, you, some, some people might say, well, c- come on, I mean, that's just a, that's just a, a classic contrarian investment. It's people looking for good value in the stock market. They've identified this cinema chain. It might be struggling at the moment, but if it bounces back in the future, that's a good investment because, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that stock will have been cheap. But I don't think that most of the investors who have made that decision have, have used that thought process. I think they've got caught up in the moment and they're following the crowd and they've seen that this is what others are doing. They must have the right idea, therefore... If it works for them, hopefully it'll work for me. And that's just not the way to make your investing decisions. And I think that these platforms, far from discouraging that kind of behavior, you know, actively egg on people. So again, these trading platforms, when we had when we had um, GameStop, the whole you know saga around GameStop shares rising in order to you know, I'm sure your uh, listeners know all about this. But um, <laughs> GameStop is a retailer; it's a games retailer in the US that was really in the doldrums. And then investors on a community called Wall Street Bets um, on Reddit decided that they would pile into this um, share because it had been um, the target of short selling by hedge funds. And uh, that drove the share price up to crazy levels and it came back down again. It's been really volatile ever since. Uh, But during that time, we saw free trading platforms saying, well, um, yeah, I I think the chief executive of one of them said, um, you know, well, we've put a temporary stop on trading in these shares, you know, whilst we sort out stuff behind the scenes. But once we've resolved those, I'll be buying shares in GameStop first thing on Monday morning. And I thought, what the hell are you doing, mate? You know, that's just such an irresponsible message to be conveying to people in this moment, um, whereby, you know, you should be saying the opposite. Hang on, guys, slow down a minute, because, you know, um, clearly this is not a rational market event. This is not based on GameStop having anything more to offer this week compared to last week. It's just because everybody's decided to pile in. Um, But what happens if they then quit in a hurry? Well, you know, you're going to lose your money. So I think that's just an example, really, of of where I think these trading apps are are not necessarily acting in their investors' interests. And and people using these apps need to be very aware of these little tricks that you mentioned before. So a big one is just sending you notifications whenever there's a new stock that's uh, floating on the stock market. I get them on my phone Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking, well, why are you telling me, you know, like with Deliveroo or Mm -hmm. or Snowflake or companies (laughs) like that? It's like, I'll make up my own mind as to whether I'm, I'm going to invest in that company. But but by you notifying me in this way, it's like you're nudging me to invest in this company, um, regardless of what the fundamentals are. And, and I think that, that, yeah, that's really problematic, I think. We're going to take a little break there. And when we come back, we will go a bit more into how we might use these things in a more positive way. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. We're talking to Iona Bain about the trend for investing amongst younger people and how technology is facilitating different kinds of trading behavior and what good investing might look like in the current era. So, Iona, one of the things you said just before we stopped was that young people were often investing because something was popular or they were nudged mm. by an app rather than thinking about the fundamentals. Are any of the apps taking people through the fundamentals that, that they can use to assess whether a, a share is a, a good share to buy? Well... These trading apps would say that they are looking to educate their investors by offering courses and academies and mm -hmm. hubs. And I mean, these are now standard on every investing platform. So whichever one you decide to use, chances are they will have reams and reams of material um, aimed at beginner investors, a mm -hmm. sort of investing 101. And that's good. Mm -hmm. But what I would say is that a lot of these apps don't actually offer that material within the app. You have to go yeah. on the platform's website separately. I wonder how many people do that. You see, I think that if you can download the app from the App Store, mm -hmm. uh, open an account today and, and start trading, mm -hmm. how much material do you need to consume prior to making that decision? And and the answer is is none. Mm -hmm. You can You can do it from a standing start. Um, now, I have myself tried to access more sophisticated investing options via these trading apps, just to discover how easy it was. Mm. And the answer is, it's very easy, too easy, in fact. Mm. I think that at the moment, these trading apps use a process called self-certification. And what right. this means is, basically, if you say that you know what you're doing, then the app says, okay, fine, <laughs> knock yourself out so, so i think so, this is the problem isn't yeah. it like if, if you if you're prepared to kind of fake it till you make it and, uh -huh. and and sort of slightly cheat the system if you know which boxes to tick and if you know uh -huh. how to make yourself seem more sophisticated than you actually are uh -huh. then you can start to access some very uh, advanced investing options on these trading platforms like you know buying derivatives uh -huh. uh, and leveraging your investment uh, and and this can lead to really catastrophic consequences and, yeah. and I personally don't think those options should be offered at all on these sort of mainstream trading platforms and, and especially not those that have well-known celebrities fronting mm. their campaigns saying you know investing is easy as saying Gucci boo boo you know <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that is that is not uh, that is not progress in my opinion, and 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 I just wonder how many people are using these platforms, um, mm. you know, thinking that actually they they know what they're doing, uh, but could end up falling flat on their face and losing a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, I think that's um, that's a very valid point, and and to come back again to that conversation about influencers 
you know, if you if you were in that position as an investing influencer and you want to make your uh, followers feel special, one of the ways you could very easily do that is to teach them which boxes to tick to get to the advanced stuff. It's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I was also the minute you said self-certification, I thought, well, that worked out so well with mortgages back in the day, didn't it? <laughs> Yeah. When are we going to learn? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Seriously. I mean, it's a problem, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, this is the, the tightrope of regulation mm. whereby you don't want to close down the market so much that people who are prepared to do their research and manage their money in a kind of smart, informed way, you don't want to shut down the options for them. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, you just when it comes to something like investing, you cannot have it as easily accessible as, as booking a manicure. Yeah. You know, it's just not on that same level. <laughs> and I think we're going to have a lot of back and forth between these companies and the regulators as, as the years go on. At the moment, we're at the very early stages where I don't think the regulators have fully woken up to the possible harm uh, that these apps can cause. Uh, but that will change. I think that we'll start to see a lot more awareness of, of how easy it is to start investing through these apps and mm. how potentially it's too easy and then yes there will be this back and forth where uh, the the apps will as all companies do when they are in the kind of crosshairs of the regulator they'll push the envelope and they'll see you know what they can get away with they'll 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 go as far as they can but then i think the regulators will have to introduce you know more in the way of disclaimers more more strict self-certification processes i mean we've even seen it with peer-to-peer uh, lending, mm. you know, the, the the fact is that now you can only access that option if you are a sophisticated investor. That used to be open to to all. Yeah. So yeah, I think these things will change and evolve, um, and hopefully we will get that nice balance where people who are uh, incentivized to learn more about investing and become more balanced and 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 informed about it will be able to access the right options for them. But but that it's not just going to be a free for all. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I'm, I'm interested because in something that you've been saying, we, we, there's been a little sort of theme in some of the things you said that um, I haven't pulled out yet, but I wanted to talk about a bit, which is the idea that some of the people who are trading in these ways have this idea that on some level they're they're sticking it to the man, they're rebelling. It's a kind of mm. almost like a punk mindset yeah. of investing, which I'm not sure that those two things are possible to put together um, but I'm interested for you to talk a bit more about that 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 my idea that people are, are kind of punk investing or, or um, getting back at the establishment by investing in certain ways. Well it's funny that you use the word punk I think that the pioneers in this area were Brewdog the brewery that uh, originally started in Aberdeenshire and is now looking to take over the wild, really. Uh, but they pioneered this equity for punks uh, crowdfunding model, uh, which was initially very successful. Um, mm. And I think that they really made great capital out of the fact that they were bypassing these traditional mainstream sources of funding mm. that might have forced them into more of a corporate straitjacket and, right. and that by going direct to ale lovers themselves and getting them to put their money in and then giving them, you know, various freebies as well as equity in the business, uh, that this would be, you know, a, a new form of capitalism almost. Um, I think the shine has come off that model a little bit in recent times because we know that Brewdog entered a, a deal with a massive private equity group in America um, and it's had a lot of controversies lately about its internal culture um, mm. and indeed a lot of doubts about whether those original so-called equity punks mm. will in fact get a particularly good deal at the end of all this whether yeah. it results in the company floating on the stock exchange or being bought out by a bigger company um, so I think yeah that's one aspect of the conversation uh, but then you know I did some research for the book um, on Wall Street bets. Mm. And, and this was prior to, you know, the GameStop controversy. And yeah. this was before most people had heard of Wall Street bets. Yeah. But they were already engaging in some pretty wacky behavior. Yeah. So, for instance, they kind of piled into Hertz, the car rental company in America, just before it went bankrupt right. and hoped that it would get a government bailout. And it didn't. Right. And things like that. So, you know, Wall Street bets was already a bit of a force to be reckoned with. Uh, and the culture on there, I mean, it it's not for the faint hearted, you know, and, and it makes <laughs> 
for it makes for very um, eyebrow raising reading. It's mm. it's it's you know it's a very brotastic macho culture, but it, weirdly as well, they kind of revel in this um, underdog status, um, yeah. and it's very self deprecating. They kind of insult one another in very on PC times mm-hmm. um, and, and I think yeah it's understandable that people especially a certain kind of younger guy who feels quite disaffected in, in some ways would be drawn to investing and particularly to this you know uh, very volatile type of investing as, as a way to beat the system and, and I think this mm. all stems back to the 2008 financial crash and this feeling of the gap widening between the haves and the have-nots uh, but but nonetheless it's just not the basis for any sound investing strategy and I don't actually think that most people in, in the UK really want to start investing along those lines I think a lot of them are, are not motivated by wanting to you know stick it to the man mm-hmm. I think they actually just want to achieve their goals or, or just to achieve more financial comfort more financial freedom um, and also do so do so in a way that that's ethical and sustainable as mm. you said before I think that matters increasingly to people I think especially young people the young people I speak to again this is partly my social group but I think the younger people I speak to um, care a lot about what happens with their money and they care a lot about where their money is being invested yeah it, it's 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 a very interesting kind of intersection of different ideas um, mm. going on all at once What's funny to me about, particularly about the Wall Street bets situation, the GameStop situation, and um, about the the idea of um, that we're the underdogs and we're we're doing we're doing this to get back at the hedge funds, or we're doing this to get back at you know somebody in capitalism that we're angry at because of the widening inequality, et cetera, et cetera. If you're all anonymous posters on Reddit, there's no reason why half the people posting shouldn't work at hedge funds mm-hmm. and and be, yeah. in fact, using something like Wall Street Bets to influence particular stocks that they themselves are betting on in, in, in ways that they might find it convenient to use Wall Street Bets to kind of uh, push a whole bunch of retail investors to do one thing and then yeah, take advantage of that behaviour. So I think yeah. there's... It's it's a good point, actually. Um, And I I think that there is enormous potential, really, for companies to to tap into that Wall Street bets phenomenon. And Robin Hood has done it brilliantly. Mm. And I think that, you know, um, the idea that that you're nobody's stooge and that you are your own person making these decisions is totally false because you are you are being influenced and driven by external forces and, and whether that be, you know, an influencer that has gained a massive following or, you know, a company that has decided that these types of, you know, stock market events can really help propel that company to uh, to profitability and, and, and long-term success. So I think, yeah, there's a huge danger here in, in sort of buying into that whole narrative. And ultimately, I think a lot of people who got caught up in, in those moments, they just wanted to make money, yeah. you know, and, and they wanted to maybe put a bit of a gloss over the top of it. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, that's what they were concerned with. And, you know, if if along the way they can create a bit of a, a storm in the media, then, you know, that's just a happy byproduct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk a bit about what good investing looks like, because I promised people that we would do that before we went okay. to the break. <laughs> let's, let's talk about what, what good investing looks like and even what good investing looks like within um, an app or within a, whether it, or on an online platform or, or whatever. Let's, uh, give, us, give us some of your wisdom. Well, firstly, I think it, it depends on how much time and effort you're prepared to put into it. And you need to be honest with yourself about that. So in the book, I divide um, I divide the book into two parts. The first is the why of investing, just kind of getting people to understand why investing matters. And then the second half is the how. Mm-hmm. But I make it very clear that um, there is no kind of one path that I would recommend for absolutely everybody. Um, it's very much a case of figuring out what your situation is um, and and how much time and effort you're prepared to put into it. I think that is the number one factor to consider. So if you're time poor and not particularly motivated to learn about investing, then you could do worse than choosing a robo-advisor that offers good value uh, because that way your money will be invested relatively cheaply and efficiently in ETFs, um, in a portfolio that should be 
tailored to your risk appetite. So if you don't want to take a huge amount of risk, uh, then you should be able to, you know, have a portfolio tailored to that. Uh, but then if you do want to learn more about investing and if you do want to be more hands-on and, and involved, you could go either to an established platform um, where you've got a really good choice of different types of investments um, from you know active funds to passive funds and then also individual shares. Or you could use one of these free trading apps if you are able to make it work for you. So if you don't end up being uh, swayed too much by these nudges and this social media hype uh, that these apps engage in, if you can kind of keep a cool head about that stuff, then you can make it work for you. You know, I use a free trading app uh, for my shorter term stocks and shares ISA. And then I use a more traditional platform for my lifetime ISA and my pension. Um, and that's because the costs there are, you know, I d I'm not going to be trading in those products as often as I might be in a, you know, a shorter term stocks and shares ISA. So I can, I can just kind of forget about those products. I've Obviously, you know, every year or so I kind of review what I'm doing there and whether or not the, the, the balance within the portfolio has changed and whether there's maybe, you know, a new investment opportunity that I need to consider over the next five or 10 years. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I, I kind of think about it in terms of timeframes as well. So I've got my longer term uh, wrappers. Mm -hmm. So that's my pension and my lifetime ISA with a traditional platform. And then I've got my shorter term stocks and shares ISA. So when I say short term, I don't mean like, you know, uh, I'm investing for next week. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about, you know, five to 10 years. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where I might uh, be a little bit more experimental, mm -hmm. you know, in my investing. And I think in the book, I don't I don't totally write off uh, the, the merits of, of picking shares or, or, or picking ETFs and, and, and having you know, a bit of fun in that way. You know, I think we can get a little bit snobby and snooty about about that approach to investing. It's about doing the research and making sure you have a well thought out rationale for for picking those types of investments. Um, but but I'm not against that at all. But I think when it comes to something like your pension or your lifetime ISA or or, or a really long term investing product, then it's the main thing is about getting your costs down and making sure that um, you're not overpaying for underperforming active fund managers. Um, so I'm a big fan of investment trusts, but I also like low-cost ETFs that mm -hmm. track the market, as I know you do, yeah, Martha, because I, I think yeah. most active managers, it's been proven, the vast majority just do not beat the market. And in the process, they charge pretty high fees yeah. that eat into our returns. So when you take that in, in the round, you end up with a fund that's smaller than it otherwise could have been. So yeah, that that's kind of a very broad overview. But in the book, obviously, I go into much more detail about all those different options, including the actual providers and, and kind of giving a shout out to those that are doing things a little bit better than others. Um, just quickly, while we're sort of on this point, because you that's all really good stuff. Um, our producer just waved at me and uh, and he said, ETFs, please define this. So I think <laughs> we want to not assume a lot of knowledge on the part of our, our listeners. Um, we're definitely not a, a specialist investing podcast. So can you <laughs> can you just quickly give me some some definitions for some of the things yeah. you've been saying? Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, a really um, important concept in investing to grasp is kind of the difference between, you know, a, an individual share mm -hmm. uh, and a fund. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, I think most of us understand what company shares are. It's when we buy a slice of a company, we own that slice and we hope that the value of it will go up. Um, and that's really at the heart of capitalism. It's it's we have a shareholder capitalism model. So with funds, um, you're putting your money into a pot with other people. Uh, but there are two types of funds. You can have active funds and passive funds. Now, active funds are those that are managed by a fund manager. Passive funds are essentially set up to just track the stock market. And what that means is if, you know, the performance of an index like the FTSE 100 were to go up and you invested in a passive fund that tracked that index, then the value of your fund would go up too. And the idea there is that if you're invested in a passive fund, then, you know, you're just really, you know, 
shadowing the stock market. Whereas if you're invested in an active fund, the idea there is that fund manager is going to be out there looking for opportunities, looking maybe for companies that are undervalued in the market. And so, you know, when their time comes, you'll get their outperformance and therefore you'll get better returns. That's the idea. But as I've said before, unfortunately, the vast majority of active fund managers just do not provide that outperformance, which is why lots of younger people have been getting much more interested in passive investing. And I think a more modern offshoot of passive investing that's really come to the fore in recent years is the ETF. Now, the ETF is um, it stands for Exchange Traded Funds, um, and, and they also aim to shadow those promising parts of the stock market, but they are structured in a different way from index funds. So here, the fund house buys the underlying assets, they design a fund, which is the ETF, to track them, and they then sell shares in the fund for you to buy. And so the idea is you get the spoils of the underlying assets doing well, thanks to the value of your share rising. Um, And equally, you know, your share in the ETF would fall if the underlying assets lose value. I think one reason why ETFs have become very popular um, is that you can buy and sell them at any time, whereas, you know, other funds are only traded once a day. So they're just much more, they're much easier and more more flexible investments, really, for, for, for people starting out. And, uh, you know, I think they are packaged in such a simple way that, you know, anybody can, can get started uh, by investing in an ETF. Uh, and you can have thematic ETFs as well. Um, and, and they have become a lot more sophisticated too. And they're often programmed to adopt the same strategy that a human would take to maximise returns and reduce risk. So I think that all really helps to explain why ETFs have become more popular in recent years. That's, that's great. That's really helpful. Thank you very much, Iona. Um One of the things I, I think is useful way for people to think about it, um, and I, I, this is this is really just came to me as you were talking about the difference between active management and passive investing is that a passive investment aims to track the market, Mm. whereas active managers make up the market to a large Mm. extent. So it's inevitable that while there will be some active managers who do well and beat the market, most of them won't because they Mm. are the market. You can't beat the market when you are the market yeah Um, yeah absolutely hard to beat the market when you are the market yeah yeah I think it's because you know the stock markets are for the most part very efficient so Mm. a share is valued in a certain way because an awful lot of people out there have done their research they've looked very hard at that company they've looked at their financials and they have decided collectively that this is what that company is worth. Um, now, it's not an exact science. And, and what's really interesting about stock market investing is that, you know, yes, in theory, you know, a, a share should be priced accurately, but there will be times when shares won't be priced accurately. And that could be partly because, you know, people are very emotional. Uh, and when they see, for instance, you know, a global pandemic hit home, they pull their money out of companies that they think aren't going to do very well in the short term without thinking about whether actually that company is is still perfectly solid and well run and will probably bounce back in due course and, and be better than ever. You know, people are very short term. And so, you know, the idea is that active fund managers would be able to kind of look above the fray uh, and ignore, you know, some of that more emotional investing that can drive markets Mm -hmm. Uh, but unfortunately you know fund managers are humans too Uh, (laughs) and and they can be clouded by their own bias and and their own um, faulty judgment you know and and I think we've seen a lot of fund managers actually in in recent years have a strategy have a mandate Mm -hmm. um, and that could be to look for value investments or have a contrarian attitude to the market where they'll go go for those companies that are a bit unfashionable and, mm-hmm. and unpopular but they'll stick with that strategy and sometimes they will they will do that even when maybe they ought to rethink things mm. um, and I think that's a that's an easy mistake that we can all make as investors as soon as we put our money into a company we become very emotionally 
invested in that money, not just financially mm. invested. Uh, and therefore, we want to believe that the only way is up. You know, we just pay attention <laughs> to the good news and we ignore the bad news, mm. you know, and we might stick with that company um, for much longer than we really ought to and, and not cut our losses and so on. And, and active fund managers can make those same mistakes. So, yeah, I, I think that's why, you know, I, w I don't completely write off active fund management in the book because I think where active fund managers have done well, they have shot the lights out uh, mm -hmm. and they have, you know, provided returns for investors that, that really put the rest of the active fund management market to shame, but also um, really put the, the index in the shade. But I think that they are very much in the minority. And of course, the, the difficulty is that, that, that you might have active fund managers doing incredibly well over a period. But as we saw with Neil Woodford, mm. uh, you know, that can all collapse Maybe not as quickly and as spectacularly as it did with Neil Woodford, but nonetheless, you know, active fund managers' fortunes can can change very, very quickly. And 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 someone who seemed like you know like they had the golden touch last year could turn into you know a complete dog this year. And and <laughs> yeah. you know, there sometimes there's no, there's no predicting who that will happen to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's been fascinating speaking with you. Um, and. You've done a wonderful job of, of selling us all, I think, on, on your book, which um, I personally would be thrilled to read as well. So I'm, I'm going to go out and, and go looking for that. Um, we are going to do a little giveaway so our listeners will be able to get their hands on a copy. So we will have a copy to give away. And this is for our UK listeners. Sorry, overseas listeners. Um, this is a, a UK book, so it's it's just going to be for the people in this country. Um, but our UK listeners, check out our show notes or follow at SquanderlustPod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And we will have more details about that giveaway um, so that you can learn more, hear more from Iona. Um, and, you know, get started on your investment journey without running into some of these pitfalls. Learn the easy way, as Iona said. Iona, thank you again for coming on the show. Where can our listeners find you? Well, my blog can be found at youngmoneyblog.co.uk. I'm on Twitter at Iona Young Money. Um, I joined Instagram recently, so you can find me there at Iona J. Bain. Uh, and I'm also on TikTok as well, Amazing. which I may come to regret. Uh, but you can <laughs> nonetheless find me on there too, um, at Iona Bain. Fantastic. We will put all of your handles into the show notes as well. And uh, we absolutely encourage everybody to follow you, especially on TikTok. Oh, um, gosh. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be uh, producing some wonderful and informative content. <laughs> Why, thank you. Your faith is touching. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Squanderlust, the podcast about the emotional side of money with me, Martha Lawton. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love one of those nice five-star reviews too. Or you can tell a friend about us, maybe somewhere on social media where we're at Pod. You can also find us at squanderlustpod.com where we put show notes, useful links and ways to support the show. Squanderlust is sponsored by Wardour Studios in Fitzrovia, London, with production by David Smith, Alicia Cunningham, Charlie Brandon-King and Tom Berry. Our theme music is by Wardour Studios and graphic design by Jason Reed. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.